Hi everyone, Pastor Matt here. After the most recent discovery of unmarked graves, I reached out to Tim Brown, the executive director of Hope Story, who we partner with to support the New Hope Youth Center in Thunder Bay. The vision and mission of this youth center in Thunder Bay is to reach indigenous youth. Tim then introduced me to Clarence, who is an elder at New Hope Church in Thunder Bay, who gives oversight to the center. And I jumped on a call with Clarence and with Tim to hear uh, from Clarence and his experience and his background uh, as a person from a First Nations community, uh, how they've been processing this most recent news of the unmarked graves. Clarence did want to mention and preface this conversation by saying that he doesn't speak for all First Peoples, but he simply speaks from his own experience. And so enjoy this conversation that I have with Tim and with Clarence. Well, Tim and Clarence, thank you so much for, for joining this conversation today. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And then I'm going to invite you both to, to introduce yourselves. So why don't I start, though, with a word of prayer. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity today that I have to speak with Clarence and with Tim. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're inside of us. And I pray that you would lead us. Give us the words to say, the, the things to think. God, I thank you again for the willingness um, of Clarence specifically to be on this call today. I pray that you would bless him and his family. And uh, again, I thank you. In your son's name, I pray. Amen. Well, with that, um, for those that are listening in uh, and would like to get some introductions, Tim, maybe what you could do is introduce yourself for us, your connection to the Church of the City, and then in some ways you can introduce Clarence, but then we'll allow Clarence to then introduce and, and tell us a little bit more about himself. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Tim Brown. I serve as executive director of Hope Story. And Hope Story is a, an organization we've always worked internationally serving children at risk. And um, one thing that uh, I guess sets us apart is that in any of our ministries, any of our, our the, the um, any of the locations in which we are working around the world, it's always through a local indigenous uh, church partner. Mm. Um, we just believe that there's so much more that we can accomplish in partnership um, than we could if we were to go it alone, and so uh, we. We also just believe, you know, from a, as a as a Christian organization, we just believe that, um, you know, that this the spiritual aspect of a child's life is is absolutely crucial to their flourishing um, as an adult. And so, what better partner than the church to enfold these kids into Christian community? I mean, there's so many side benefits um, that even go beyond. Um, maybe a theological perspective on this, um, but but fundamentally, we we want kids to be uh, enfolded into a, a Christian community, even as we help them in the various other aspects of their life. And and so uh, you know, Hope Story, as I as I say, we work in South America. It, most of our work would be in in Sub-Saharan Africa. We're also working in Asia and the Middle East, um, but. Uh, it was it was several years ago that I started having uh, some questions actually from just key people in the organization saying, you know, what about Canada? Um, you know, this was at the time of uh, the, uh, you know, we kind of in the wake of, of this, some of the, the news coverage of the suicide crisis in places like Attawapiskat. You know, what about Canadian youth who are seriously at risk? And my answer was always, well, you know, we don't have anybody on staff. We don't have anybody in a leadership role who would be able to guide us in that. And frankly, as an organization, you know, I just spoke highly of the church. You know, we, we have a high view of the church as the bride of Christ. You know, the only organization that seems to have like, you know, was was actually instituted um, by Christ. We 
when it comes to the little bit that I knew of the, the First Nations experience in Canada, for example, the church just has a terrible track record. And so uh, it's an awkward thing, quite frankly, for an organization like us that talks a lot about the church to even think about work in Canada. And so there was just a discomfort there. But none of that seemed good enough reason not to explore what we might do. And so we started to, uh, I, I, I started interviewing and speaking with a number of Christian First Nations leaders across Canada. Um, and I'll never forget a conversation with uh, a Cree leader out in Winnipeg who uh, basically said, you know, Tim, um, you know, you definitely could make a lot of mistakes. You know, there, there's a lot that you could stumble and, and, and fall on. Um, and he said, so the other option is just to do nothing. And he kind of posed it that way. Like, you know, I, I, I and, and I, I appreciate it. He, he wasn't giving me an answer. He was just kind of like, here's your options, make mistakes or do nothing. And certainly doing nothing sometimes is the best response. I mean, sometimes you can do more damage, you know, do more harm than good. Um, but what, you know, as I, as I prayed about this, as we actually invited him to do a, to lead our board in a, in a board retreat time of prayer and discernment as to whether this is something that we should pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we felt like God was moving us towards this. The board did give me a blessing to, to pursue this further. And um, I did feel that our model that where we work internationally only through indigenous churches, only in a partnership, uh, like through, through partnership, I felt like that could possibly, you know, work here in Canada, even given some of the awkwardness, even, you know, given some of the mistakes, you know, we could make in this area or even just the, the, the optics of it. Um, I felt like if we were working with a, you know, a genuine First Nations-led church community, um, then we we wouldn't be stumbling in some of the ways that we might as, you know, a uh, an organization that's never done anything like this before mm-hmm. and is just kind of going in and 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 trying something new. So that uh, led us. I mean, I again just uh, speaking continuing that conversations with an, with a number of, of, of first nations leaders. Um, I got put in touch with what seemed like actually really exciting um, ministry, both church and ministry that was happening in Thunder Bay. Um, and I came to learn and I'll let Clarence speak to this, just what a strategic location Thunder Bay is um, as a, a center where where youth are coming from northern Ontario for healthcare, but um, you know basically anything that you would need access in a in a major city, especially education. You know, it's high mm. school education not available on a lot of um, you know in some of these northern Ontario um, reserves, and um, and so uh, and, and you know kids coming staying with families, but not necessarily having a community of their own. Uh, right. That's what that's why New Hope was established. And so um, I just thought, oh, like as part of their constitution um, as a church, you know, the, the, the flavor, the, the leadership of the church is to be First Nations, though they're not exclusive. Um, nobody is, you know, denied entry to the church. But, um, but the flavor, the, the purpose of the church is to serve as a community for um, for at least originally many of these youth coming from Northern Ontario. So I thought, Oh, what an awesome opportunity to partner with a church that is well-established in the, in Thunder Bay that has a heart for youth has established a youth center. And, you know, so that started the conversation about how can we come alongside you? How can we help you expand your, your ministry? Um, Is there anything that we could do? And so that's, that was the introduction and it's just been a pleasure over the past couple of years to get to know the leadership, including Clarence. Yeah, so that that brings us then to Clarence. So Clarence, why don't you share with us a little bit about yourself, your background, maybe a bit about your story of coming to know Jesus and your involvement uh, with New Hope in Thunder Bay. 
Okay. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for the invite. So my name is Clarence Mikas. Um, born, raised in Red Lake, Ontario, a very much northern Ontario mining town, um, north of the Trans-Canada. Um, grew up mostly there, but I was um, lived the first few, of my, few years of my life in my home First Nation community. It's called Deer Lake First Nation. It's a remote community, a fly-in community. Um, you know, you can't drive there. There's a winter road for a few weeks of the year. Um, hmm. There's probably about 1,200 people there right now. Um, so that's the place um, where I come from. Um, my parents are um, what's called Ojikri in First Nations, so a mix of Ojibwe and Cree. Um, um, my mother is from a different community in the north um, called Bearskin Lake First Nation. Um, and now living in Thunder Bay, um, I've lived in Thunder Bay for about 20 years. I have a wife, Karen. She is a Kiowa from the Kiowa Nation of Oklahoma. Um, and we have three kids, 24-year-old um, son. His name is Clarence Indio. 20-year-old hmm. son, David Skye. Um, and an 18-year-old daughter, uh, Rain Grace. Um, she just graduated high school. My sons have been in college. Uh, Okay. The last few years. So, um, and in New Hope, or sorry, in Thunder Bay here, a part of New Hope Church, as has been mentioned, and have helped with leadership of the New Hope Youth Center. Um, they're distinctly different organizations as far as um, charity goes and that kind of thing, but very much New Hope Church started the Youth Center. Um, and a part of some other great uh, outreaches as well um, over time. So, I really, um, I don't know. I really feel, um, I, kind of, I kind of feel stretched thin, but I really feel engaged and feel like there's um, a lot of important things that our family can be a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so do you mind, Clarence, sharing us a little bit about um, uh, your childhood and then moving to Thunder Bay? At, at what point did you decide to follow to follow Jesus? And then from there, then what was the trajectory and the vision then behind uh, the New Hope Youth Center. Yep. Um, so like I said, I was born, born in Red Lake. Um, my, my parents, my father came to faith through a, a mission outreach. At that time, it was called Northern Light Gospel Mission. You know, started in the 50s and had roots in northern Minnesota and into northern Ontario. Had dozens of families all over the north and in small communities uh, even municipal communities um, in the north and in Minnesota um, back in the 50s and moving forward till now. Um, that mission organization is called um, Living Hope Native Ministries, um, not to be confused mm. with New Hope. <laughs> so I grew up in the light and in the shadow in both senses um, of that outreach uh, here in the north, the First Nations people. My father came to faith through, um, you know, a family living in his community and, and just living life and doing life with uh, an actual community, a small community. So wow. um, that, that uh, mission uh, family started with many others, started a Bible school in my father's home community. And actually my mother came as a late teenager um, to that, to his community, um, to that Bible school. Um, so they met and uh, got married and I have two brothers, um, I'm a middle brother. Um, and my father, through that outreach, um, then, you know, went on to commit really his adult life to um, outreach and partnering with, uh, you know, missionaries across the north. He would do a lot of interpreting, um, you know, for Bible teaching, translating. He, he actually was part of a team that did Bible translation um, hmm. to the and Ojibwe um, in the region. So there's books of the Bible he spent days and weeks and months and perhaps even years um, translating uh, for print. Wow. Um, so I, I kind of have grown up in this whole thread of, you know, being a missionary kid, although much different, um, you know, because of where my father came from, you know, his, his um, well to draw support from, even for living, was much different, you know, because he come from a tiny community with a church that has a few families in it, you know, there's not six or eight 
uh, home churches or churches in your home area that you can draw from uh, to, to build a, a support team. So, um, you know, my father actually worked as well um, during that time and um, had to, you know, make choices like that in raising uh, us as a family. Yeah, thank you for sharing with us, Clarence. And then if you don't mind, just maybe share with us a little bit about then your 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 time in Thunder Bay and and then the your heart for First Nations youth and the the New Hope Youth Center. Sure. Yes. So I as a teen, I I was compelled to leadership in the church I grew up in. Um, it was a very much conservative style church and a Baptist theology uh, and background uh, Mennonite. Um, and it was kind of the mission agency church in a, in a small community. Um, so had a lot of um, interesting um, experiences in values um, and in understanding, um, you know, what might be a virtue and what is not, meaning, you know, God blesses us uh, in thing in, in say in lifestyle um, or convictions about you know the way we look versus you know, God blesses us more because of those kinds of commit, commitments in our life. So I had a lot of um, uh, sometimes turmoil in my youth um, trying to understand what it was about faith and church and, and why they don't always uh, mix the way they're supposed to. Um, as I, I, I remember you know, I came, became a Christian at breakfast, um, at my family <laughs> breakfast table when I was 12 years old on a cold winter morning. Um, just, you know, we always had devotions around the table um, for some reason um, at breakfast and uh, just was posed the question, you know, um, what do you think about faith for yourself? And I just remember praying at that time, um, you know, maybe not uh, ready to, um, you know, fully understand what faith meant for me. But, um, you know, I went, I graduated uh, high school. I went to um, the U.S. for some time. I went, attended Rosedale Bible College, uh, took music, a lot of Bible, you know, based uh, learning. Um, and then uh, spent some time in Red Lake yet uh, before moving to Thunder Bay. I worked at a couple gold mines. I worked for, you know, forest firefighting with the Ministry of Natural Resources, you know, worked for Ontario Hydro Technologies and kind of power development stuff. So I had a, a lot of fun, fun jobs. Yeah. Um, but I really came to a point where, you know, I wanted my work life um, to also serve um, my people. Um, so that's what brought our move to Thunder Bay. We had one son. Um, we had another child on the way when we moved to Thunder Bay about 2000, I believe. Or 2000, I think it was 2000. Um, because the world had already ended that year at January 1 at the, uh, what, what did they call it? <laughs> Y2K. Um, anyways. Mm. Um, so I, I did some upgrading um, and went to school for civil engineering. So actually I work in civil engineering. I work for a company that serves First Nations. I travel all across the North most weeks. Uh, helping communities with anything from house construction to schools, water treatment plants, sewer plants, roads, bridges, everything. Um, that's my work. And I always tell people I really I have a passion, certainly for serving First Nations people. So, you know, working mm -hmm. at a gold mine is amazing, um, but I think you're kind of making rich people richer. And if you really, uh, you know, I, I really became concerned with my life effort serving uh, something significant. Um, and that's not saying you can't have significance in doing those other types of work. I just really wanted to be able to know, you know, that my, my life work that I get paid for um, would uh, serve my people. So made a distinct choice to move away from home or move a few hours, you know, to Thunder Bay. And I'm, we meant to be away for four years. Um, and it's been a long four years since 2000. Um, <laughs> yeah. Since then, we've gotten involved with church leadership at New Hope Fellowship Church, um, started the youth center, New Hope Youth Center. Um, I'm also the board chair for Living Hope Native Ministries, which is the 
you know, the founding organization, um, you know, where my father came to faith, you know, um, probably in the 60s, I guess, late 60s. Um, and, you know, love, um, love everything that I've been involved in. Um, there's a couple of some engineering related, you know, part of the, say, the, the engineering um, group at the local college, Confederation College, where I was, you know, um, I have a passion for seeing people succeed uh, in, in education um, mm. and a, a number of other things that uh, take up my time as well. Um, the youth center. So the church, New Hope Church, was a church plant from the mission mm. because, like Tim mentioned, you know, Thunder Bay, the city of Thunder Bay, it's about 115,000 people maybe, but it's become a center for education. It has a regional hospital uh, where many people from all over the north come uh, mm. for you know, various healthcare uh, services and, and many times long-term healthcare uh, needs. Um, so it's kind of a, um, I don't know, it's a bit of a melting pot, but it's certainly a, a gathering place, like you mentioned, for people from across the north, whether you're a student. Um, you know, for those who don't know, many small communities in the north, First Nations uh, that are remote, you know, there might be 300 or 500 or 800 people there. Um, in most cases, not enough to have an actual in-person high school. So many, many youth still leave home when they're 13 or 14. Uh, to pursue the high school, their high school education. Um, there are other places they can go, like Sulacout is another community north uh, of Thunder Bay, but Thunder Bay has a First Nations high school, as well as you know, a whole bunch of high schools that youth will come to the city and there are um, organizations that support them um, you know, in, in reaching their education goals. So sometimes they will move and live with complete strangers. They'll live in boarding homes, um, and, you know, it's incredible to think our youth, the, the um, challenges they're up against when they're 13 and 14 years old um, yeah. you know, to succeed just in education and everything that we take as a privilege. You know, I never I didn't have to leave home for for high school, um, but many of my friends now have done that very thing. And those are some of your most formative years, you know, in a home. I couldn't imagine my daughter leaving home at 13 and not seeing her. Um, and, and, you know, missing that time, which kind of also is along the theme of what, what we are aware of, you know, from the residential school um, era. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Starting the youth center, you know, because of that, because there are a lot of youth coming to the city from the north, um, the, the kind of church tagline or motto has been believe, belong, become, you know, um, and that's believe, you know, come to faith, come to know a personal relationship with, with Christ, belong, meaning build family, um, come to know family in this way, in a church setting, um, and then become as, you know, become everything that you were meant to be, um, Christ. Um, and, you know, that kind of transferred over to, you know, um, you know, there wasn't a First Nation in the city that was, uh, had a focus for First Nations youth. Um, so, you know, at the time there was um, kind of a fledgling youth center that was, was a, a multi-church effort, um, but just kind of floundered and, and had challenges with vision and unity um, and leadership and that kind of thing. So um, our church leader at the time was a part of that effort, but um, we felt you know, we would want to start something that uh, was dedicated to First Nations, not exclusive by any means. Um, you know, our, the, the um, vision statement of youth center is empowering youth and reaching their full potential while discovering Christ. So wow. it's, it's based on relationship, um, you know, that first take, how can we build relationship and community with someone long before we ever approached the idea of faith. Um, so that's been, um, a lot of that effort's been on the side. You know, my wife, uh, she's, a, she's a nurse. She's gone now, um, traveling in the North, um, training uh, new nurses. Um, so we both believe in, or have come to believe in doing work that serves our people as well as, um, you know, I, I do often 
can say I, I, I serve First Nations, both paid and unpaid. Um, wow. In my life. And that's really what it's been for us. Wow. Well, thank you, Clarence, so much for, for sharing with us. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit for us the, I, I hate to use the term average because there's lots of different experiences, but as you are working with, with First Peoples, what would you say is the average experience in Canada right now for someone who's part of First Nations communities? Um, that is a hard question to answer. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I don't know if half the communities in Canada, the First Nations communities are remote or remote access. Um, so they don't have, you know, road access to get in and out 90% of the year. Um, that, that is a huge um, difference in, in how youth come to uh, experience society um, in general or, or experience, go through their education. Um, you know, um, you will find a, an incredibly wide uh, spectrum of background in, in youth today. Um, some are quite tied to, you know, what was a traditional way of life. For instance, for me, my parents were born in the bush on a trap line, you know, mm -hmm. not in town, not even in the small village. Um, and then I was born in a hospital. Um, and ironically, and even with my own family, um, Ironically, the, the doctor that delivered me also delivered my son. So that's kind of small town wow. <laughs> uh, in that perspective. But um, so there are there are many youth with, you know, not not a great um, gap or yeah, gap in, in tie to, to a traditional way of living. Where other communities, you know, that have been accessible for a long time by road or otherwise, you know, it, it might be generations of, of time that they carried on a traditional lifestyle. Um, so that, um, and then as a young person, when you have a desire to reclaim that, you, you know, we're not gonna go back hundred years the way life was. It, that could be for anybody. It doesn't matter your heritage, your background or ethnicity. So you have to, you know, then, you know, grasp at things that you can, that, that we can, can become meaningful uh, for your ethnic or your family heritage in that sense. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Um, you know, my father raised me and my brothers. We grew up hunting and fishing and trapping and all these things. Being in the bush, we knew everything what we needed to do to survive, you know, on our own. Um, and yet they push us hard in education. You know, I have a younger brother who pursued an engineering education as well. Um, so, you know, part of his thing was my father's perspective was we need to, you know, these have a desire to to excel and to um, serve people well in both worlds, meaning the, the world that we grew up in or, or our family heritage, being Oji Cree, being from the North and First Nations, but also in general society, being able to serve people and bring, um, you know, life those around us. So I, I, I'm enthused by being able to serve communities with, you know, uh, developing a new water plant, you know, uh, mm. First Nations issues. Clean drinking water is one of the greatest gaps, you know, we see in First Nations communities compared to the rest of society in Canada. So I spend a lot of time in my work, you know, in those kinds of um, areas. Uh, wanting to, you know, trying to bring our, our First Nations communities um, to uh, what most of Canada enjoys um, in a way of life. Hmm. Could you share a little bit, Clarence, about, um, you talked about Living Hope Ministries, which sounds like an evangelistic ministry to reach uh, First Nations I get the impression that there could be a contentious relationship between Christian ministries and first peoples, but is, is that, is that the case? And maybe you could talk a little bit about then the residential 
um, school system and, and how any of that history has has or is playing itself out um, in in people's experience or even receptivity to hearing about Jesus in in, in these communities. Yeah. So uh, Living Hope Native Ministries, again, um, it's come through a couple uh, updates of names. It started out as Northern Light Gospel Mission um, and then was changed to um, Impact North Ministries um, and then now Living Hope Native Ministries. And that the ministry was an outreach to um, First Nations, First Peoples of Northern Ontario, um, where they would, you know, start churches, um, plant churches in these communities and raise up, you know, local leadership, um, you know, to fit, um, you know, what the values were at that time. And it was not perfect, you know, um, you know, the, the ministry had very uh, much Anabaptist uh, roots in, 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 uh, theology and doctrine um, and life. And that certainly comes with lifestyle uh, commitments that, um, you, you know, many, in many places are maintained to this day in similar groups. Um, so there was, there was tension um, because, you know, um, how do you, how do you model grace and love and acceptance the same time as um, you're feeling compelled to, uh, uh, people are feeling compelled to live a certain way or to dress a certain way. Um, and, um, you know, it, so it, it did, uh, there was at times uh, misunderstandings, um, mm. but I believe the heart of the missionaries were to, you know, bring people to faith. Um, and that often clashed with you know, traditional spirituality um, that, um, you know, is strong in some communities and, and not so much in other communities. Um, and some of that is uh, also the effect of, you know, residential schools and the outreaches of different, um, you know, religions or, or different um, theological uh, groups, um, doing outreaches across the north you know there are many you know communities that have a long history of having united churches or anglican churches or catholic churches um, you know for decades um, in the communities so there's very much especially in northern ontario there's very much a theme and a thread of of uh, spirituality in that sense um, and, and maybe the faith the personal faith aspect has not always been completely understood um, at that level or, or not even completely modeled in the best way. Um, so it, uh, the, the mission agency, um, Northern Light Gospel Mission, did uh, operate a residential school at Poplar Health First Nation in Northern Ontario. Um, again, a relationship uh, that was forged by the federal government um, by region. So this, because the, the, the mission agency had, you know, missionaries and outreach in nearly every community across the North, um, you know, the, the federal government, you know, through, which is, you know, through various church organizations or religious organizations. That's how the many uh, regions that the residential schools were started. Um, so whoever had connection, often that's who was used. Um, so that's why you see a variety of different types of um, religious backgrounds um, operating these residential schools across the country, uh, many Catholic and many others. Um, so Northern Light Gospel Mission offered or sorry, operated such a school in Pelper Hill, where, you know, um, I don't know, 50 to 100 kids were bought for um, a couple decades um, for 10 months of the year, whatever the case was, uh, for school. And it was, uh, it was run as a Christian uh, type school, um, a faith-based school, uh, of course, with other requ you know, education requirements because it was still a school. Um, 
um, made to be part of um, the experience there. Um, and, you know, that's been a legacy of this mission outreach as well that we've had to deal with um, in being a part of um, some of these, um, you know, the national apology, the federal government apology, um, you know, I think it's around 2008. And even in times since, you know, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in exploring, you know, what happened through the residential school era, you know, um, some of our first prime ministers of Canada, you know, had perspectives of needing to, um, you know, change the Indigenous um, uh, history, not, not history, change the Indigenous experience um, in, uh, in our country. Um, and that's what brought on the residential school process. They, they, their perspective was, you know, if you build schools in the communities, they still have connection to their family, to their culture, to their language, to their history. But if we build schools and take them away, you know, and, and take away the Indian from the kid, um, you know, they, they hopefully come to know something different uh, and, and, you know, have different roots than they ever imagined. Mm. So, you know, and it's been, it's like, it's, it's like a nuclear bomb that dropped, you know, among our people. Um, and the fallout is still very much evident today um, everywhere across the country. Um, so, so with that, Clarence, could you talk to us a little bit about what your response has been to the to the recently discovered uh, unmarked graves, and then with that, how can we as a church be praying for you and for First Peoples and Indigenous individuals across our country? Mm -hmm. um, I like to, uh, I, I you know I follow news a lot. I I, I so I. Even with the the um, federal government apology, you know, in 2008, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission effort and report, you know, there were 94 recommendations made to the federal government. Look, at this is how you should uh, work to change things, and 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 put, you know, the indigenous uh, uh, community. Um, back um, as a meaningful partner or as a meaningful, yeah, meaningful partner in, in how our country lives and moves forward. Um, you know, I think since then, the federal government has actually acted on six of those 94 recommendations. So the, the effort to a First Nations person um, has, has not been great. Um, even at that time, through that time, you know, through that effort um, of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, and gathering of personal stories, um, you know, they, people knew uh, of, you know, thousands of kids who were, that have been unaccounted for um, and just beyond imagination. You know, we had, I remember an elder in our church uh, very specifically said, yes, I remember, you know, one August or September morning, you know, a plane showed up and two of my sons were taken. Um, you know, they might've been five and seven years old, um, never seen or heard from them again, um, and has no idea to this day what happened to them. Um, and at that time there was, there was not ways of communicating properly. You know, I, I it's some communities in the North were in the eighties and nineties before they even got phone service, Never mind other ways of communicating. Um, so you know, when, when there's that kind of experience beside you, um, it, it is incredibly um, sobering, you know, and maddening even um, to hear. And, and if you get to know any First Nations person, you know, at some point you'll hear their family uh, history or experience of your relatives. Everybody, every person is touched in some way, has been touched in some way by that legacy you know, in our country. Um, for, for me and my wife, Karen, you know, because of some of our learning, um, you know, just on a side note, my wife has been a part of um, this um, group called Rising Above Counseling Agency. 
uh, and they, they've held national conferences, um, really focusing on counseling and, and hearing about residential school experience, abuse experience, and, and how to come to healing, um, that kind of thing. So my wife, um, my, I'll show you a bit about my wife. She was uh, given up at the age of three um, into foster care. Um, she was born in Germany. Her father was in the US military. Her mother was from the Kiowa Nation in Oklahoma. Um, and uh, so she remembers being taken, you know, kicking, kicking and screaming at the age of three, one of her first memories ever. So when, when, we, started, when we heard about that first thing, it, it was a, a, a huge trigger for my wife um, and understanding that, uh, hopelessness feel like how, how can, you can't imagine a small child feeling hopeless at the age of three you know or at the age of five you know my mother my sorry my wife remembers you know she had she experienced a lot of abuse um, in her childhood going through many foster homes um, almost being you know discarded and disregarded um, even for basic uh, life needs and, and she, so amazing trigger. She, we, and we can't imagine how some of these kids have felt um, or what, you know, led to their passing um, and, and being put in unmarked graves. Um, and you know what, it's only the start. I think there's only reports of about six schools and there's, I don't know, 160-ish in Canada uh, school sites. There's, I think about 394 in North America school sites of residential schools. Um, and no, no, none of the places yet have even broken ground looking uh, for what's actually there. So it's mostly like uh, scanning the ground um, with sonar and this type of thing, different types of technology and finding actual remains on scans. Um, but uh, so that was one of the recommendations to the federal government is that they should start funding this kind of thing to find uh, our youth. Um, and they haven't until the last three weeks. You know, um, the, I believe the provincial government in Ontario was the first to announce funding dedicated to that effort um, soon after the 215 were found. And then last week, the federal government announced uh, funding as well to, to serve that effort. Um, so, uh, but for, for, for us personally, and many in our church, you know, tremendous grief um, mm -hmm. over and over, you know, um, and it's only gonna it's only gonna keep coming up as, you know, the, the effort so far has been self-funded uh, or funded through foundations and this kind of thing um, for looking for these kids, but mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's more than ripping a scab off an old wound. It's like re-wounding re again um, for many people. So, um, you know, giving our people a forum to be heard, to express themselves um, is really important. Um, and I don't know, I think it's important to hear people's hearts and hear their experiences. And, you know, First Nations people don't always, they don't need an answer when they share always. Um, and they're not looking for one. First Nations people are known to just, you know, be together to be together. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time visiting families, um, especially families you know, around the hospital or around illnesses, um, certainly much more uh, before COVID. Um, but um, presence is important. Being present is more important than anything you could do or say uh, in many First Nations people's experience. Um, so that's our heart, you know, at our church um, is to want to hear because our church has a very much a mix of backgrounds. Um, and, you know, we don't know if the person you're sitting beside lost a child or was that child um, that was sent off. You know, my mother, you know, went to residential school. Um, to her knowledge, uh, my mother passed about a year and a half ago, but to her memory, 
did not experience abuse, you know, um, and didn't didn't have these terrible, horrible memories. Um, she she's seen evidence of it certainly. You know, she lost her 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 lost a lot of language. Um, you know, many people that went away they they certainly know like, conversational uh, language, um, but have lost. So, you know, an example could be. If you talk about trees, um, you know, a person that didn't lose their language knows the names of all the eight trees you see, where conversational, it's like, yeah, we're talking about that tree, and that's the general term. Um, so that's kind of some, a lot of people's experience in losing their language. Um, and you know what? I don't know my language um, fluently at all. Um, you know, my parents, for whatever reason, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't speak it enough to us that when we grew up, um, and some of that might have been, you know, some of the follow of, of that legacy of, you know, our government um, perspective on changing, um, you know, Indigenous culture. Um, so what can we do? Um, I think informing ourselves is important, you know. What compels people to want to burn down a church uh, or deface a church or pull down statues, you know, that are significant to our country's history um, or known history, um, colonized history. Um, it's important to try and understand wh where those people are coming from. I don't think uh, I don't think there's healing in, you know, returning injustice for in another injustice. Um, but I understand where where they're coming from because um, incredible loss, you know. And, and Canada is such a unique country. It's the only country in the world that has a federal regulation that tells the government how to treat the Indigenous people. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of roped into that in that sense of how funding moves to, you know, uh, reserves, whether it's for water, for education, uh, for living, um, you know, and this whole thing of this welfare mentality and that, you know, government handouts, um, you know, that, that was the re that was some of the reason behind the reservation system was that we're going to give these people a little plot of land and we're going to confine them to that plot of land. They cannot leave for any reason. So most people like my, my father was born out in the trap line away from his village, but they were, they were able to leave and provide for their own way of life. Uh, but when you confine people, you make them completely uh, and utterly dependent on government support. And that fails mm. to this day in many situations. Um, which is, you know, one thing that compelled me to want to serve First Nations people. You know, I, I don't meet many engineering professionals anywhere in Canada. I've worked in most provinces now, um, and it compels me more to uh, serve communities and, and what I do, whether it's work or otherwise. Um, and same with my wife, you know. Um, we've made very specific choices in pursuing education and work. And of course, the things outside of work, the things we volunteer apart, you know, um, the church leadership we've been a part of for 20 years, um, you know, we really want to uh, know how we can make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, building community, I think is something, um, you know, anybody can focus on. Um, you know, uh, one of kind of the idea of the youth center, New Hope Youth Center, um, Youth for Christ has this thing they, they used to talk about. It's called Code Red, Code Red, which means relationship, evangelism, and discipleship. So that's kind of been our focus. We're going to focus on the relationship first, um, and, and evangelism, discipleship. That will come, but that's not really. You know, we're not going to overrun anybody with our faith-based uh, effort first um and 
you know, our family's effort has really been people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Um, mm. So how can we, how can we show care and building family, whether it's in work, um, at home, and with our kids' friends? And that's why I mentioned earlier about our kids in, in you know, pop culture, popular culture, and, and even human sexuality. Um, there are so many challenges that our youth are up against, not up against, but negotiating or, or walking through and walking beside. Um, but you don't lose if you focus on somebody's heart. And, and if you know where you come from, if you know your core values of your own faith uh, and family background, which can be significant for many people, um, I think if you're aware of those things, um, and kind of know who you are, you know, I don't think you have to feel threatened with, um, you know, what society has, is offering uh, youth or anyone today. Um, and that's certainly been our family experience um, in communicating care uh, and building family. You know, it's, it's said that the, the greatest human desire anywhere is to, is to belong. So how can you nurture or, or be a part of that and showing somebody a significant relationship or showing somebody care, you know, random acts of kindness. Um, you know, my one, my middle son, he's 20. He's generous to a fault. If somebody asks him for money, we'll give them everything he has on without doubt. And it used to bug me <laughs> because he was a youth. And he'd be like, yeah, I gave somebody 40 bucks today. And it's just like, well, because <laughs> that's what I had on me. So, um, you know, wow. we want that, um, but, you know, we want it, we want it to be healthy uh, as well. Um, and how can we serve people otherwise? You know, and that's why we started the youth center. Um, and when you focus on relationship, um, there, there's a lot of, uh, interesting things that can happen you know it gets pretty dirty and messy when you're willing to meet people and and accept them and love them where they're at you know um mm -hmm. had a lot of very challenging incidences at the youth center um but um those same youth are, are have become our strongest and biggest allies in in maintaining the outreach of the youth center you know they will protect that place uh, um, beyond a lot of other things in their life because that place is where they experience family and community and it's hard mm -hmm. you know hard because the youth center is run largely by volunteers um, and we we train them um, you know there's a lot of legal stuff and liability stuff that comes into play as well that we need to be aware of, but we don't want to be that to be the underlying theme of why we do this or why we don't do this. Um, we want it to be from their heart. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, challenging issues our youth are confronted with. Um, you know, we, we have young people on occasion that don't want to go home because they, they come from a difficult, difficult home situation, or there might be some, you know, um, just, you know, really difficult things that they're experiencing at home, whether it's a home that's breaking apart um, or, you know, they might've grown up with abuse. Um, you know, we've, we have a, a, a decent referral process because we don't expect our volunteers to be counselors, but we want them to know, look at it. And even if these kids are suicidal, we've had kids, you know, that, you know, communicate that they're a threat to themselves. Um, so, you know, when you get to people at that level, um, and many times they reach out to youth at the youth center because they feel compelled. Um, and that's probably the most family they might feel ever in, in their days. Um, you know, we serve food. Uh, um, we, in the past, we've had uh, a couple of grocery stores serve us or, or, or let us pick up their uh, meals that they make, whether it's sandwiches or salads or soups or all this kind of stuff. We'll just get a huge box of food that is free to the youth center. It might be expiring in a day or two, but um, a lot of it gets used up, um, you know, by the youth um, just that need, need something decent to eat. So there's so many different ways I think that you can reach people um, mm -hmm. without being overly concerned about 
faith. Um, one of my mentors um, here, his name is Ken Funk. He was the founding pastor of our church. Um, you know, he, at our church, we will, you know, do baby dedications. We'll pre perform marriages, not me, but our leadership or our pastor, lead pastor. Um, and sometimes we won't see these people again. Um, but our perspective has always been, and I appreciate it from our original pastor, Ken Funk, was if I can be a part of pointing somebody in the right direction, that's what I want to be a part of. I don't need to know their eternal position in life right now. Uh, you know, I certainly want to encourage them to faith and to you know, a relationship with Christ. But if we can pray, uh, you know, bless them and dedicate their children, their babies, or if we can marry them, um, or, you know, we do a lot of funerals to um, that kind of thing. Um, we, we would rather be a part of people's lives that way and point them in a good or bless them today, even if we don't know where they are come Sunday or next month. You know, I, I, I've really appreciated that because it's brought a lot of rich yeah. experiences um, at our, in our youth center and through the church. Um, Clarence, I'm wondering, and just as we, we kind of transition and close our time together today, if you could just share with, with us a little bit about where you're finding hope these days in the gospel, like what continues to propel you forward as um, unmarked graves are found, as you face the challenges of the history of the Christian movement and, and first peoples, what, what about the gospel? What about Jesus is continuing to propel you and give you hope for the future? I think um, being compelled to relationship um, is kind of the, an underlying theme, whether for me or, you know, for the way we do leadership at church or the center. Um, part of the, part of that, part of the, part of what's happening is that even the word church has become a swear word in many circles for First Nations people. So if you say, hi, my name is Clarence, I'm from New Hope Church, and the instant the word church is heard, it's like, boom, there's already um, anim animosity. Um, doesn't even matter if I'm First Nations or not. But so in, in that, it really compels me to focus on relationship. Um, and that whole thing of, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And if I can communicate care and even exercise care, um, you know, our church, often we, we will help people with paying their bills or paying their rent or getting them food. Um, you know, we want to be those hands and feet. Um, and as we've committed to that, you know, God has blessed our church incredibly. Um, just a quick minute on our church. Um, when we moved here, the church was meeting in a community center. So we'd go set up church every Sunday, um, take out the chairs and all the sound equipment. Mm -hmm. and, um, we, we had this massive big poster that had a, a church, a brick church, and for every $50 we raised towards having a church building, we'd color in a brick. So I had these little red spots all over this poster and we had you know, $10,000 or whatever. And somebody broke into the community center, stole our sound equipment. So that was almost all of our funds gone <laughs> at that moment. And, uh, wow. You know, fast forward um, 10 years, um, you know, we, we, we were given, not given, we, we bought a church. We've since moved to a much bigger church um, that this, this year will be, we'll have the mortgage paid out. Um, and by, you know, a pretty small core group of people. Um, but we, you know, we've all, our experience has been, if, you know, if you don't have big asks of our father who can provide anything, um, you know, um, what, where, how are we planning for the future? Um, and what do we want really uh, in, in 
vision and mission and outreach. Um, like the youth center, you know, the youth center itself, because of incredible gifts of many people, was it's a building um, with, let's see, two, three, four, four different spaces. Um, many are rented. Um, was paid off within two years. So, you know, when you make those big goals and, and really pray about them, commit to praying about, you know, what you believe God has in mind for you. Um, and I know Tim could share a, a lot of those kinds of stories um, as well. Um, it's incredible how God provides. Um, I already forgot what the question was. Um, no, I, th I, think, I think you've answered it. I mean, God is at work in, in your midst. And I just want yeah. to thank you, Clarence, on behalf of our church and behalf of anyone that's listening for your sharing your experience, for being honest with us about your own experience, about those that you're in relationship with, about your family's history. And uh, Tim, I was just wondering if I could ask you to, to pray over Clarence and, and uh, yeah, thank God for this opportunity to spend, spend the last hour or so with one another learning and listening. And that's, couple of things I'm hearing from you, Clarence, is steps forward for us is to learn by listening. Um, and so thank you so much for your good word to us today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Be glad to. Father, um, I'm just uh, also blessed uh, to hear from Clarence. Um, the uh, the experience that he, his wife, his family have gone through, um, the the uh, you know some of the the challenges that uh, that he sees uh, in in the northern communities in which he is serving, as well as in his own family, uh, and and the friendships that his kids have established. Lord, it's I mean the legacy of of uh, the residential school and and far beyond that um, is just ever present. Um, in a way that for many of us who grew up in Canada, we were, we were just never taught about, never even aware of. Um, and so I say blessed. I mean, it's, it's, it's really uncomfortable and, and discouraging in some ways to hear these things. But, but on the other hand, uh, as Clarence said, it's, you, you can only take a step forward, you know, when you, when you actually have some of that, that knowledge. And so I, I, I know that in some ways talking about this is uh, just brings back um, grief and uh, is, is hurtful in, in, in and of itself. So I thank you, Lord, for the chance to, to have this conversation, to hear from Clarence, uh, to learn. Um, and Lord, I, I'm also just encouraged uh, to hear about how you are continuing to work in the midst of this community, Lord. Um, like so many of the ways in which you work through people who are willing to serve, Lord, there's a there's a brokenness there, even in 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 the, the history of of how New Hope was founded, Lord. There were big mistakes made along the way, um, and yet even in the midst of that, you take something that is broken, Lord, and you bring such beauty out of it. And so I thank you for the way in which you are, uh, you are just continuing to make yourself known, make yourself felt uh, to, to both the community of, of New Hope Church, the community that is an extension of the church through the youth center, and through the many um, who, who are just part of the church, Lord, and are serving in various capacities like Clarence. Um, we thank you for your grace. And uh, Lord, we, uh, we, we just want to commit this ministry um, to you. Uh, we know that uh, through, through Church of the City and through other partners here in Canada, Lord, our desire is to see a full-time director uh, established once again uh, at the Youth Centre post-COVID post when we can actually move forward in strength. Um, Lord, we're blessed. Uh, I can speak for myself, I'm sure for Matt as well, to just be a part of something that's, uh, that's, that's beautiful that you are doing, that's so obviously part of your heart. And uh, Lord, we just ask, Lord, uh, as Clarence mentioned about our, one of our greatest desires is to belong, 
for, for many of these youth who don't know exactly where they belong, because in some ways, uh, between the residential schools and just government policy, we were very effective as a nation at ripping people's um, identity away from them. Um, Lord, we know that that's only something, our identity, our deepest meaning for reason for being uh, is in you. And so to take that away and not replace it, you know, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just so hard to understand where these youth can find meaning and, and home. So we ask that, uh, that the church, that the youth center would be a part of that. And we're, as I say, Lord, I just want to express gratitude that we can be a part of that. Please bless, um, Clarence and, and the church leadership as they move forward post COVID um, in this outreach. And we just ask Lord that you would bring the right people uh, to continue to volunteer and serve in this meaningful outreach. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.